Let's turn in our Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel and chapter six. And you'll know that over this last year, maybe even more than that now, I'm just not sure how many weeks we've been thinking about some aspects of approaching the throne of grace and prayer. And I want to speak tonight upon an unusual subject, one that I trust and believe is biblical, and maybe a little bit controversial as well. And I know that some people struggle to pray publicly in a prayer meeting, and you maybe feel that you don't have all that many words, and you might utter a sentence or two and then run out of things to say. But I want to speak for a little while tonight about brevity in prayer, especially with regards to public prayer. And we're just going to read from Matthew chapter 6 and from verse number 1. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 1, and we'll read down to verse number 8, please. The first eight verses of Matthew 6, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward." But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues, and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, now it doesn't say use not repetitions, but use not vain or empty, hollow or meaningless repetitions. When ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your heavenly Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. We trust that God will bless the reading of his precious word to each and every heart for his own sake and for his own glory. Whenever we study the word of God and whenever we preach systematically on a subject or through a book or in a particular theme, sometimes we come up against subjects that are tricky and controversial and sometimes we can be fearful that they might be taken the wrong way. But nevertheless, we have to be honest with scripture and honest with ourselves and wise and endeavor to preach the whole counsel of God. And so tonight we're looking at this little text in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 7. And we have thought about many, many aspects of approaching the throne of grace in prayer, whether it's privately 
or publicly, and some of those subjects that we have considered have maybe caught a little bit close to the grain, and I trust, I believe and trust that they have been received in the right manner. But look at verse number seven. When ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your heavenly Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And here the Son of God is speaking with regards to the Pharisees praying in public places. Whether it was in the street corner or whether it was in the house of God, the local assembly, the local meeting place, he warns about the danger of praying long, long, long prayers to be heard of men and to multiply words. And he indicates that that can be uh, something of a stumbling block even to others and even to the Lord answering our prayers. There certainly is a place for prolonged seasons of prayer. Whenever it comes to our private prayer lives, entering into the closet, there is no limit at all as to how long we pray for. And there are also seasons of prayer that are called for, special seasons of prayer, half nights of prayer, nights of prayer, days of prayer, weeks of prayer, afternoons of prayer that are conducive to praying a little bit longer than normal in the public place. It's important to spend quality time before the throne of grace. But whenever it comes to the public prayer meeting, the question maybe needs to be asked in our hearts, how long should I pray for in a public prayer meeting? Now that's an unusual question, and yet it's a very practical one. In the scriptures, especially in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, the prayer meeting of the church figured very prominently and took great place in the hearts of God's people. And right there at the beginning of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, or almost at the beginning, in chapter 3 it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple, again the public place of assembly for the people of God, into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the, the ninth hour. And so Peter and John, two individuals going together to the house of the Lord, to the prayer meeting, and it's described here as being an hour of prayer. Now the temple was a, a focal place for the assembling of God's people in the city of Jerusalem. And we're not sure exactly on occasion how many people entered into the temple for the hour of prayer, but we are, I suppose, persuaded that there would have been a, a large assembly of people meeting together for the hour of prayer. And if Peter and John decided, well, John, you pray for the first half hour, and I'll pray for the second half hour, of course that would have not given other people time to pray at all. And yet if there were maybe 60 people at the hour of prayer, and everybody prayed for one minute, that gives everybody opportunity to pray. Christ gives guidance regarding the hour of prayer, I believe, here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 7, our text for this evening. Speaks about long and lengthy prayers, and the heathen think that they will be heard for their much speaking. The idea is that the more I pray and the longer I pray and the longer my prayers are and the more sentences and the more words and the more phrases I use will certainly get the ear of God. And the Lord says in verse 8, 
be not like unto them. Much wisdom is needed whenever it comes to prayer. And we thought about that a Monday night or two ago in Romans chapter 8, whenever Paul acknowledged his weakness and his infirmity. And he says, we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So Paul is acknowledging we don't really know what to pray for. And sometimes as well, whenever we pray together, sometimes we're maybe not exactly sure how long we should pray for. Prayer time is valuable time, especially whenever it comes to the public prayer meeting. The time we have together, the hour of prayer, is valuable time, and other people's time is valuable as well. Martin Luther once said, I would rather people steal my money than steal my time. And if the time that we have for prayer is valuable, and the time that other people have given to come to the prayer meeting is valuable, I think it's important that we respect uh, the time allotted for us in prayer. So we're speaking tonight for a little while, I trust a little while, on brevity in the public place of prayer. I want you to consider, first of all, some of the exhortations to brevity or briefness or conciseness in prayer. And this text of Scripture here, Matthew 6 and verse number 7, warns us against vain repetitions. Now, repetition is right and proper. In the Garden of Gethsemane, our Savior prayed the same prayer three times. He repeated himself. So there was nothing wrong with repetition because the repetition that he was using was not vain. It was from the heart. And if there's something that's burdening your heart, it's not wrong to pray about that specific need again and again and again and again. Repetition is only grieving to the Lord whenever it's vain or empty or hollow or meaningless or doesn't really come from the heart. It's just empty words and breathings. But motive as well needs to be considered. These people that the Lord is speaking about here in Matthew chapter 6, some in verse number 5 pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. And then in verse 7, there are those that pray long, long, long prayers, thinking that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And so it seems here that the Lord himself, whenever it comes to the public place of prayer, is advocating brevity in prayer, especially whenever we're praying in the presence of other individuals. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says in verse number 1, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth. Therefore let thy words be few. And that's speaking about coming again to the house of God. Letting our words be few. And sometimes the amount of words that we speak shows a lot about ourselves. There are searching verses in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, for example, chapter 10 and verse number 19 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips 
is wise. And again, Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 11 says, A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till after. And that is wide-reaching in its application. But maybe there's a little bit of application there with regards to prayer. Whenever it comes to prayer, God does not need our counsel, and God does not need our advice, and God does not need our enlightenment. It's possible to come to a, a prayer meeting and tell the Lord all about what you were doing today and what you plan to do tomorrow and all of those things. Lord, I don't know if you heard about so-and-so, but they're not well, and I'm just telling you, Lord, so-and-so, whatever it might be. The little acrostic is often used, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication as being a, a template for how we're to pray. But there's nothing in that little acrostic that speaks about information. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows our hearts and he knows our thoughts afar off. And so I believe here that the Lord in this text of Scripture is giving us an exhortation to brevity in the place of public prayer. And then, of course, as well, in the Scriptures, there are many examples of brevity in prayer. It's always good to consider the giants of the faith whenever it comes to prayer. There are many biblical examples of men and women in Scripture who prayed publicly before witnesses and before God's people in all manner of different places and in all manner of situations. And generally speaking, the rule of thumb seems to be, unless it was some exceptional circumstance like the dedication of the temple or Daniel's great intercessory prayer in Daniel 9, that public prayers in Scripture were relatively brief. Whenever Elijah was on Mount Carmel, and he prayed that the Lord would send fire from heaven. You can read his prayer in 1 Kings chapter 18, 36 and 37. And it's one of the mightiest prayers in Scripture, but it is also just a short prayer of a couple of sentences. The prayer of Jabez, when he prayed, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, is a very brief prayer. The publican's prayer, whenever he kneeled before God in the house of God, was just a few words, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Peter's prayer, whenever he was sinking in the Sea of Galilee, having walked on water, was a very brief public prayer, Lord, save me. The penitent thief upon the cross, before witnesses, simply prayed, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Whenever Stephen was being stoned to death, he simply prayed, Lord, lay not the sin to their charge, and into thy hand I commit my spirit. The Syrophoenician woman who came into the presence of the Lord whenever he was there with his disciples simply prayed, Lord, help me. Just a few words. And those are some of the notable public prayers in Scripture, and all of them are brief. And all of them seemed to receive the answers that they were seeking after and the answers that they were desiring. And then there are many historical examples of great giants of the faith who prayed and acknowledged that their prayers were brief. Charles Spurgeon said, I have never really prayed for 10 minutes, but there have never really been 10 minutes when I haven't prayed. George Muller was a giant of prayer. 
And I heard a story once about a young Christian who had heard about George Mueller and he didn't live far from him and he got into his company and got to know him a little bit and then asked him, Mr. Mueller, can I come with you and pray with you? He wanted to hear this great man of God praying who records in his diary thousands of answers to prayer. And whenever he got down on his knees beside Mr. Mueller, Mr. Mueller just uttered one word, Father. And then he was still in the presence of God for two or three minutes. And then he says, Lord, we need this, we need this, we need this, and we need this. And just rhymed off four or five petitions for practical things and got up off his knees and that was the prayer season over. He spent longer preparing his heart and being still than he did actually praying. Last week in Bangor, I was speaking about one of the great awakenings. I think it was under Jonathan Edwards. And a man came to the door at the church after the the meeting was over and says, I'm not sure, but I I remember reading. I think that he says it was about Jonathan Edwards. And sometimes when he was conducting a prayer meeting, a public prayer meeting, he had a little bell. And he said to the big assembly before me, he says, now you've got two minutes. If you're going to pray, you've got two minutes. And then I'm going to ring the bell. And then he wants, I'm going to call on somebody else to pray. Because he said, we've got maybe an hour for prayer. There could be 50 or 100 people here. And we want everybody to get an opportunity to pray. Therefore, keep your prayers brief. As a young teenager, or maybe an older teenager, 18 or 19, I attended a Bangor Faith Mission Convention a couple of times. And sometimes whenever men were giving the report, and you could only see it if you were sitting up in the gallery quite close to the pulpit, there was a little red light just in the the corner of the lectern. And whenever somebody was giving the report, if they went on for five minutes, this little light began to flash. And then if they went on a little bit longer, it just was a solid red. It was indicating your time's up. And that's what that individual was thinking about whenever it comes to the, the prayer meeting. Then there's the supreme example, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself, the master in prayer. Now, the Lord spent probably longer praying in the days of his flesh than any other human being. The Bible says he rose up a great while before day to pray. He tarried all night at times in prayer. Before he commenced his earthly ministry, he went into the wilderness And for 40 days and for 40 nights, he prayed and he fasted. He was a man that spent long, long, long seasons in prayer. But you'll notice that the Lord's public prayers, generally speaking, were very brief. And that there were always prayers that God answers. And it's the master of prayer that is teaching us here that we're not to use vain repetitions or to think that we're going to be heard for are much speaking. Somebody once told a story about W.P. Nicholson. He gets uh, credited with a lot of amusing stories, and sometimes I wonder, was it Nicholson at all? But this was supposed to be Nicholson conducting a prayer meeting for one of his great missions. And a brother in the Lord started to pray, and he went on and on and on, and Nicholson didn't know what to do. And then he just stood up and says, Brethren, we'll sing hymn number 629 together while our brother here finishes off his prayer. And maybe that was a bit rude and a bit blunt. But an example of a man who believed in brief prayers in the public place. And then there's something else we could say about brevity in prayer, and that's the expediency of it. Expediency. 
And by that I mean efficiency and practicality. The public prayer meeting has often been described as the engine room of the church. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once took a group of young students to his church in the Metropolitan Tabernacle before one of his Sunday morning services. And long before the service was about to commence, he took them down to the basement and he opened the door and there were hundreds of people meeting together for prayer, praying publicly. Little groups here and there praying for the movings of the Spirit of God. And he said to the people, he says, this is the engine room of the church. And if you have an engine in your car, you want that engine to run as efficiently as possible. You want to get the maximum performance with the least amount of fuel. You want the engine to be well-oiled and well-lubricated and well-serviced. And so it should be with the public prayer meeting. We want the public prayer meeting to be as efficient as possible, to have the maximum level of power. And we trust that the Lord will really apply these truths to our hearts. This little book by R.A. Torrey has recently been republished by the revival movement, Every Home Crusade. And there's counsel in it, suggestions for the public prayer meeting. Things that I need to take to heart. This is what Ari Tori says. If you're conducting a public prayer meeting, point A, some suggestions. Don't take up all the time yourself. This is to the preacher. Don't take up all the time yourself. The prayer meeting is not so much your meeting as the meeting of the whole church. You have your air, you have your opportunity to air your views on the Lord's day. Be fair and give other people an opportunity on the prayer meeting evening. Point B, he says, don't let anyone else take up all the time. There is liable to be in every community a prayer meeting killer, an individual given to making long prayers or long speeches, and as stale as they are long, everybody looks blue as soon as they get up to speak. This must not be permitted. Then he says, point C, don't be late. If a prayer meeting is announced to begin at a certain hour, begin at the very tick of the clock. This encourages more people to attend than most people suspect. Point D, don't run over time. If the prayer meeting is announced to close at a certain time, close at that time. It may be wise to have a second prayer meeting, but close the meeting at the time announced. Point E, don't let the meeting drag. Point F, don't have bad air. The air in the room has more to do with excellence or dullness of the meeting than most suspect. Some points for prayer from Mr. Torrey. I remember attending a prayer meeting many years ago, and there was about 45 minutes given over for prayer. And one individual started to pray at the start of the prayer time and prayed right through to the very end, all about election and predestination and the perseverance of the saints and praying through all of these wonderful doctrines. And I tell you, it was made a wonderful sermon, but it maybe wasn't such a wise prayer. I was speaking a while ago this year at a senior citizens meeting to a retired Baptist pastor. And he said a few years ago he was over in America preaching at a large convention. And he says then during the week he was asked to go to the church prayer meeting of a particular pastor who had a very large church. And he says the prayer meeting lasted for one hour. There were 200 people in the prayer meeting. And he says every single one of them got to pray in that prayer meeting. One sentence each, they just started at this side, and one sentence across until all 200 of them had prayed. 
Simple prayers, Lord, save my brother. Lord, undertake for that missionary. Lord, meet that particular need. 200 people praying one sentence each is probably a lot more efficient than one person praying 200 sentences and taking all of the prayer time. John Newton once said, better that the hearers should wish the prayer had been longer than spend half or a considerable part of the time wishing it was over. D.L. Moody said, some people's prayers need to be cut off at both ends and burned in the middle. Somebody once said, if you don't soon strike oil, then stop boring. And then there's the kiss principle. Keep it short and sweet. Now, I take it on the chin tonight. These are all principles that I need to apply probably more to my preaching than anybody here needs to apply to their praying. Short and sweet might be better. But note, it's not the length of the prayer, but rather it's the depth of the prayer and the weight of the prayer that's the important thing. You'll notice in your study of God's Word, and maybe even from your own personal experience, that the prayers that seem to touch heaven and the prayers that get real answers are simple prayers that come from a burdened heart. Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1 went into the tabernacle at Shiloh, got down on her knees, and she was heard by God to pray, but she wasn't heard by men. She moved her lips, but her voice was not heard. And she indicated that she was a woman of a sorrowful spirit. There were no words at all, just the burden of a sigh. But nevertheless, her prayer was heard. It was the principle of brokenness. And so often, sincerity and brokenness and burden, even if it's only a very short or brief prayer, is the thing that brings life and blessing into a prayer meeting. Robert Murray McShane says the worth of a prayer is not to be judged by its dimensions. St. Augustine said, we may pray when we say the least, and we may pray least when we say the most. The Puritan Thomas Boston said, lay no weight on the quantity of your prayers, that is to say, how long or how many they are. These things avail nothing with God by whom prayers are not measured but weighed. The depth and the weight of prayer. I've maybe mentioned this before, but I remember years ago conducting a gospel mission and it was just like plowing concrete every single night. It was just really difficult. It was hard to get people in. The meetings were dry. The singing was hard. And nothing happened of any note or any memory of anything happening. And I remember a, a dear brother in the Lord saying after it, you know, we just need to pray more, or pray, spend longer in prayer the next time. And I just wondered about that. Because we had been meeting for prayer for months before it. Thursday mornings from 7 o'clock to 10, a week of prayer before the mission, lots of outreach and evangelism, and so many people were tired and weary. And I just sometimes wonder, is that the concept that we have of God? If you pray for several weeks or you have several hours of prayer, that God says, well, listen, I'm not answering your prayer until you reach a certain bar. And it's almost like we're saying that the first 
weeks or the first days or the first hours in prayer are really wasted and you have to reach a certain bar and it's like God dangles the carrot in front of the donkey and wants you to reach this, this gold standard that you've prayed long, long, long prayers and then once you've got over the line, God says, well, now that you've proved yourself and you've spent hours and hours and days and weeks and months in prayer and you've put in the time, now I will answer your prayers. I believe the Lord is teaching us the exact opposite here in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6. They think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Lord, I've prayed this really, really long prayer. Lord, now you're obligated to answer the prayer. But so many of the prayers in Scripture were brief and they were short, and those were the prayers that God answered. The public prayer meeting should really be an overflow of the private prayer life. One last thing and we're finished. We've thought briefly about some of the exhortations, some of the examples, the expediency, but lastly, the expectancy of brevity in prayer. I think the Lord here in part is teaching us that brevity in prayer is a mark of confidence in our God. That we have the assurance and the faith to believe that the soon as we pray, the Lord hears, and even before we pray, the Lord knows our hearts and the Lord knows our burdens. And it might just be a one-sentence prayer. It might just be a word or two. It might just be a phrase. But whenever it comes from the heart and the person who really knows the heart of God knows that I don't have to pray long, long prayers in order to be heard. I can just pray a very simple, brief, short prayer from the heart. And I know and I have the expectation that, that God has heard. All successful pray, public praying seems to come from a heart for God in the secret place. You remember how the Lord said, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask? Do you remember what he said just before that? Which one of you, if your son shall ask for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, will give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask? And that little child that comes to the Father and says, Father, give me some bread, or give me some fish, or Lord, give me this blessing. They just ask for it simply, and they have the confidence and the expectation that their father has heard their prayer. Maybe tonight you say, well, why do you bring a message like this? Because I believe there are so many people that think, well, you know, if I pray publicly, I'll run out of words after 10 or 15 seconds. And I can't maybe pray eloquently the way other people pray. But again, it's not the length, but it's the burden, it's the weight of prayer that really counts. So be encouraged tonight. You might view yourself as being a great prayer warrior, but a one-sentence prayer or a few words uttered before the throne of grace is a prayer that God will hear as much as anyone else's prayer whenever it comes from the heart and it's offered in the Savior's name. And I trust God tonight will encourage you and bless you and stir up your heart and enable you to pray. We have so many here tonight, and if everybody was to pray for 20 seconds even, that would take us, I'm sure, right through to the end of the prayer time. So I want you to take to heart these words and think about them 
and even utter one audible sentence before God in the place of prayer. And let's give everybody opportunity to seek the Lord in prayer. It might just be, Lord, save my loved one. It might be just, Lord, I have a son or a daughter. Lord, you know their needs. Don't need to express them publicly. But Lord, meet them at the point of need. Lord, that missionary that's going out to wherever it might be, Lord, bless them and encourage them. That gospel mission that's on, or that brother or sister that's not so well, Lord, meet them at the point of need. Or Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for guiding me. Thank you for providing me. Lord, I love you. Whatever it might be, just that one sentence prayer, God will honor it and God will bless it.